Hello, everyone. Today I am chatting with Rachel Kincaid. Rachel was born and raised in the Carolinas, and Alaska is now her home. She is a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner with 15 years of healthcare experience, both at the bedside and in leadership. She currently works as chief nursing officer at a critical access hospital. In addition to evidence-based and holistic healthcare, she is into marriage and motherhood, the practice of gratitude, the outdoors, skincare, slow fashion, books, politics, pro basketball, and houseplants. I wanted to talk with Rachel about her decision to leave Instagram. I am always intrigued by those that build a brand online and then decide to delete social media. This conversation will discuss her thoughts and process over the past few years. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone. We have Rachel on the podcast today. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. So I was telling you right before this, I'm excited to talk with you because you're somebody that's also in the medical field. And I'm excited to hear about your journey into blogging and social media like from the get-go. But you're also someone who was heavily on social media at one point and you decided to leave. So I'm just so excited to talk about this topic with you because I think it's a really important one. So why don't we start with how you got into blogging to begin with and then kind of how you got into social media. If they're at the same time, then we can talk about that or kind of like separately just to hear like where you all, where you started. Yeah, sure. This is such a fun topic for me too, because it's as much uh, taking a trip down memory lane as it is a period of reflection on, you know, who I am right now in this moment and what I need to be doing and how I need to be spending my time and that sort of thing. But it's also just really fun to think about all the different iterations that that has taken. Um, I grew up on the internet. I am currently 37 years old. We had uh, dial up in my home until my high school years. And I started a blog in high school through the dial up internet. So I had like designated time that I was allowed to use the family's phone line. And I would log in and write on my blog and talk. It was like a diary, you know, talk about my day, connect with other uh, interneters. There was uh, MySpace around that time, Friendster. I was on a blog called Live Journal. There was Zanga, if I'm ringing any bells for millennials, geriatric millennials. <laughs> and it was just, hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. We're elders. It's fine. <laughs> Had a blast doing it. It was a really cool way to connect with people that were far away. Um, internet strangers didn't feel like that concept didn't feel scary to me. It didn't feel disconnected from my real world. It was just another part of my world. So I enjoyed it. I had a, a pretty like underground lifestyle as far as alternative music goes. I grew up in a private Christian school. I was in the musicals. I was in the plays. I was a cheerleader. But on the weekends, I would go to the, our local music uh, bars and clubs and watch live bands. And so the internet culture of blogging and connecting with strangers and things like that actually just made sense in that scene and in that world. That's where people would share a lot about local events and things like that. And so that morphed over the period of teenage into young adult years. I blogged when I traveled the world on a missions trip at a mission school during college when I took a semester off. I blogged about my engagement. I blogged about the wedding. 
I started a blog when I got pregnant, which was one month after my wedding. And all the way through, I mean, I blogged a few weeks ago. So that is 20-ish years. I think I started my first blog in 2023. Actually, I think it was March of 2020 or March of 2003. So it's been 20 years. And social media really took on, I mean, if we're not, if we're not counting Friendster and MySpace and all of those platforms, if we're really talking about Facebook and Instagram, I came of age with those as well. So Facebook really started when I was in college and you had to have a college email address. And Instagram was a exclusively photo-driven site for a long time. If you remember people were hanging out on Instagram and not really engaging with one another. There wasn't really liking each other's photos and commenting. It was kind of a way to store and create your photo art and your social media presence and then share it to other platforms. Like I would share my photos to my blog or I'd share it to Facebook or whatever. And so I've been on Instagram, I think as long as it had been around. And after about 10 years, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, and that was coming up on two years ago, I decided to step away. And at that point, I had somewhere around 17,000 followers. So I'd be like a micro influencer or whatever category you want to put me in. I had done some brand partnerships. I had maintained a presence on my blog, even though, as you know, the long form writing hasn't really been as popular in the last decade or so. And I had done some podcast interviews. I had done some speaking and teaching at conferences and things like that through like Christian women's organizations and faith-based things. But I've pretty much spent my whole teenage or adolescent teenage and adult life on the internet in some way, shape or form. <laughs> that is so wild to like hear because I I almost considered myself like one of the beginner blog like bloggers because I started in 2008. So I was a little bit late. I mean, later than you were, but I started on blogger and I only got into it because my job was incredibly stressful and like I wanted some sort of like an outlet being able to like write and like be creative in that way kind of use the other side of my brain and I just like loved that it was just like this like a hobby for years and years so I love to hear uh, more about like I mean obviously coming from somebody who's like been so like well versed with all of these different platforms and everything since such a young age like what was the first thing or couple of things that made you Think, rethink like using social media the way that you've always used it? That is a great question. I would say I have some things in common with you in regards to both of us being uh, medical professionals and finding an outlet online or it, just in a different space where we can use different parts of our brains and interact with people in a different way. And I too did that throughout my career as a nurse. I would say I started to feel the pull to kind of, there are two different, two different phases of my life. One, when I decided to go to grad school and I knew that I didn't want to live this compartmentalized life anymore. I didn't want to be a nurse for a certain number of shifts per week. And then an interneter that had this influence and this outlet and creative expression for another certain number of hours per week. And then a pastor's wife for a certain number of hours per week. And then a mom and then, you know, all the things. And so I really tried to be my whole self all the time. So I was sharing on the internet things that I was doing in my workplace. I was sharing my faith. I was sharing like all the personal parts of life and with a filter as my kids got older and older, trying to make sure that I had rules in place for how I shared. But then there was the next phase, which was when I started to grow 
in my professional career as a nurse leader and as a person who employed people and a person who had to give feedback on evaluations and make hard decisions in the middle of a pandemic that affected my entire town and community, you know? And that is when I felt, oh, things are going to have to compartmentalize a little bit now, which is kind of the opposite of the life that I wanted to have, but in a way makes sense. So as the chief nursing officer of my hospital, I should probably behave in public the way that I behave at work, right? I shouldn't have these multiple personalities. I, I feel like people should be able to know what to expect from me. That doesn't mean that I can't like cut loose and dress a certain way or act a certain act silly with my kids or whatever. But I started to be a lot more careful about what I shared online. And then we have the pandemic, which made everyone reevaluate the way that they absorbed, processed, synthesized, and then shared information. And then I had this giant cross-country move where the people in my town of 6,000 is significantly more small and intimate than my previous town of almost 2 million. And there was just a level of consequence to my actions online and offline that just felt different. I've never moved before. I never reestablished community before. And I wanted to take this seriously and thoughtfully. And so over the course of about 18 months after moving to Alaska, I really wrestled with the idea of kind of breaking up with the internet. And it was a long, still is, grievous process at times because I am... I miss that culture. I miss the connections that I had. And I miss the amount of investment that I put into it because I don't think that it was for naught. Like I think that it was worthwhile and valuable, but I have other things now that are taking up that time and space and energy. And I don't, I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. I love hearing this like perspective. Do you think that if you hadn't made like career changes and life changes with this cross country move that you would have ended up in that same spot where you would have left social media or do you think you would still be there? I think I would still be on social media. I think I would be a little less emotionally healthy because I might not have made the decision that I should have made to walk away specifically related to a healthcare professional's relationship to the internet during a pandemic. I just can't, I can't like, yeah, I can't overstate how important that time was for all of us, whether we are certified nursing assistants working part time or physicians at the front lines in the ER. You know, like I just, there's no way to really share what it's like to work in a profession that is under constant scrutiny from the public and even ourselves during a life changing event, like a three year long pandemic. So I have a feeling I should have reevaluated my relationship with the internet, no matter where I lived or what position I would have had or what career path I would have chosen or taken. But certainly the move to a small town that came eventually with a promotion to a pretty high level, you know, C-suite leadership position in a hospital that answers to an operating board that answers to local government like that. It's just a very interesting dynamic that I'm in right now. And that certainly accelerated and probably placed more urgency on my decision to leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, what have you noticed in yourself since you decided to leave? Like, have you noticed positive, negative effects on yourself since you've stepped away? That's a great question. I still really care about the aesthetic of my life. 
Like I still really care what my closet looks like. I care how I sleep at night, what kind of bed sheets I have. I put my groceries in glass containers in the pantry. I'm living the life of an Instagrammer and not sharing it. And I like I like telling people that because I knew that's who I was all along. Like I don't think I was doing that for the likes and the clicks and whatever. Like I just I enjoy a pretty aesthetic. I failed out of fashion design school before going to nursing school. So I've always known that I enjoy the way things look. I like putting outfits together, recipes together, things like that. So I'm proud of myself for like not maintaining that, but for acknowledging that and still kind of pursuing that. I will still Google fashion blogs. I will still go onto Instagram to look for Nordic street style or like whatever the the best boot I could wear in the snow in Alaska that still looks nice. Like I still engage in that way. And I would also say I still really care about paying attention to what is happening in the world. I do feel strongly that social media has kind of exacerbated that problem that we were probably headed toward for decades, which is you are now expected to receive and process information in real time happening all over the world. And not only are you expected to receive it and process it, but immediately make an informed decision and then share that with people. And then I think about the Titanic and how when it sank, it took people days and weeks and months to really receive that tragic news. And I I want to slow my mind and my heart down to a pace that can tolerate and handle hard news everywhere. But I also know that I have an obligation to know what's happening in the world. So I would say my relationship with current events and the news and the internet hasn't necessarily changed. It's where I'm spending my time and energy and the format. So I listen to the daily briefing on my Amazon device, or I open a news page once or twice a day. I do love news, but I also know that my time is probably better spent uh, filtering that through a local lens. If I'm really concerned about homelessness or famine or drug addiction or abuse, I know that there are now outlets in my local community by which I can kind of process that energy and get connected instead of just reading about it all day long, reposting it, hopping on with my camera on and sharing with my followers what I think about a new story I just read. And I don't, I don't have a problem with any of those things. I just know that at this season of my life, there are different ways and probably more healthy ways for me personally with which to engage those things. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I feel like it's almost as if social media gives some this ability to express that they definitely care about whatever particular topic it might be by by getting loud about it, but it doesn't actually encourage anyone to make movement and actually change whatever that topic may be, like homelessness, for example. Like you can kind of scream from the rooftops that it's the worst thing ever and and say all these things you want to do online, but what really matters is like locally, what are you doing on the ground to actually make these changes for your own community? It's so interesting because I I agree. I I totally I can like I sympathize with you on so many of these things. I definitely was feeling the same with the news in particular, especially during COVID and especially as a medical professional. That was 
my particular breaking point. I just felt like so much of the information was coming in at like lightning speed and some of which was misinformation, disinformation, whatever you want to call it. And from a perspective, from a medical professional, it was like, I just, I don't know how to even handle this. And I felt a certain responsibility because I've never covered, I never started my blog or or downloaded Instagram or Twitter or any of these things to like, I never downloaded them in order to share medical information. I wanted these two things to be completely separate. One was just to be like a creative, like I love fashion, I love style, share these things. And then of course, once I became a mom, I became passionate about sharing things about being a mom. But I never did it to mesh the two together. They were two totally separate things. And once that happened, it was like, you feel this immense responsibility to just like educate, you know? I'm like, what am I doing on here if I'm not helping people understand what's going on or educate about vaccines or whatever it was? And so it was just like this like very, I don't know, interesting like fork in the road where it was like, do I continue doing educating and and talking about medicine? Like, or do I just, it was just very, very hard for me to kind of like bring the two together. And I did, it was under significant scrutiny because my whole entire platform of like half a million people were like built on fashion style motherhood. And so when Mm -hmm. I, when I kind of started Shifting. Like, Who do you think you are? Yeah. Oh, it did not fall easily. Let me tell you, yeah. it was really, sure. yeah. And it's hard. It's hard because, like you said, the news is coming at such an incredibly fast rate on social media, and it's so difficult to digest. And and a lot of it is just opinionated news. So it's like. How do you dig through all of this to find out exactly what happened without having these biases? It's like impossible. So what are the top one or two things that you would say that you miss about not having your accounts? I actually miss Twitter a lot because I loved the wit, the fast-paced like banter, I got a lot of news from there with a minimal amount of, I mean, of course it's opinion, but it's 140 characters. So like there weren't people engaging in these rants, but then also I just, the diversity of thought that I had access to on Twitter, I feel like made me a pretty well-rounded uh, media consumer in a way that I just, I couldn't get, I didn't figure out how to crack the algorithm on Instagram to get that kind of representation. Like you could have theologians arguing and then there's like black Twitter comedians and then there's indigenous news now that I've moved to Alaska that I'm really interested in. And then there's breaking it, like, you know, all the things. So I miss that. I miss, there was like a little bit of FOMO where I, I feel like what happens culturally to me, a pop culture lover, if I'm not engaging regularly in pop culture. And the answer is it just kind of like passes you by and you catch it in little bits and pieces and it's fine. Like nothing terrible happened, not even like emotionally for me. I don't feel like a huge piece of me is missing or that something is broken. It's just, I, I enjoyed it. And I do miss like that, like watching the Oscars or something like that, where everyone's live tweeting at the same time would be like a really fun time in history for me. Memes. I love memes. I love laughing. I love other people's humor. I I find myself to be 
I, I think I have a good sense of humor, but I'm not necessarily a comedian. So when people can make me laugh on the internet, it's a really good time. And maybe the friendships, you know, getting connected with people on the internet in a way that just feel you feel seen and known. And there was probably no chance that you would make that friendship in real life because they live nowhere near you. Uh, and it's just really neat to have friendships that have lasted 10 plus years. It's hard to explain it to others that are not on the internet all the time because you're like an internet friendship. And I'm like, yes. And they are fantastic. Internet friendships are so great. And so I, I would say I, I don't think about it very often that I'm missing the opportunity to build new ones. But I would say that was a piece of my life that I really enjoyed. And those connections that I still have, I'm very fond of. And I wouldn't have had them had I not been you know, so engaged online for so long. Is there anything like you did in particular once you left social media that you used as a replacement? Like, so for example, I know you said you catch up with the daily briefing when you can to like keep up with it. Are there any newsletters that you decided to subscribe to that you didn't want to miss out on or certain ways that you get your information or connect with people now that has taken the place of what you were doing on social media? That's a really good question. I would say this has happened in phases as probably any really long, intense relationship <laughs> that needs to unwind. It might take a while. So at the very beginning, I was off of the internet completely. I deleted all of the apps. I deactivated accounts. I took just like a, not even a sabbatical. It was probably just like shut her down. You know what I mean? Then I spent a lot of money on getting chat books made of every Instagram post that I had ever made with the cat. And that is really a sweet, sweet thing for me. Like we have them organized by date on a shelf. My kids can access them at any time. Yeah, that was, that was a really cool, like when I'm feeling nostalgic for what I'm now calling my old life, because in so many ways it was, we had left a church, which for those who are familiar with working for a church, it can like leaving is almost like a weird divorce. There's just like, there's so much community and service and, more than just showing up on Sunday and like hanging out for an hour and a half together. It's a relationship. So that ending and then moving for the first time in my life and not just moving a little bit, but moving 5,000 miles across the country, that was huge. Starting a brand new career. You know, I had been a nurse for 10 years or so. I had never been a nurse practitioner. I had never learned how to establish practice in any of the environments in which I'm currently working. All of that transition was just like really intense. So I would have these periods of grief where I just like miss my old life. I miss the climate or the weather or the people or the way things smelled or being able to pop online and talk to this person or being with people in my Instagram stories or whatever. And so having those chat books was really helpful. And so replacing the content, I've just gone month by month and kind of assessed, like checked in with myself. What is it that I'm missing? I do not have a problem getting my news and I never did before either. So none of those methods have changed for me. I still research the same way, but I would say by and large, it was probably becoming, this is going to sound really cheesy, just more rooted and grounded and connected to my life in the moment was what took the place. Like going on walks, sitting on a couch and watching my kids dance around instead of working on a caption or a post. And I didn't, I mean, like, I don't apologize for that either because when I was creating content, it was because it, it, it inspired me and it blessed my family. My kids liked to read my captions and my husband was encouraged by it. Like, it's not like it was taking me away from the family, you know, for 40 or 50 hours a week or whatever. I already have a job that does that. 
So I don't want to speak ill of that time, but the replacing is an interesting question because I don't really feel like the things, the things that I removed associated with a life very publicly spent online, I have only, I think, replaced with my in-person relationships, the people that I lead now at work, spending emotionally emotional energy preparing for those conversations rather than preparing for something online, attending local like town council meetings and reading newsletters that are local and engaging in that kind of, even online, like on Facebook, I'm part of my neighborhood Facebook page. And I read through what people have to say in the comments on the local salmon derby tournament that we have this weekend. Like, so I'm like, I'm still engaging. It's just, it's pivoted. It's shifted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you leave social media? What year was it? So I took a break probably two to three months a year for the last three or four years that I was online in an Instagram blog, Facebook kind of way. And so I took a break in the spring of 2021. And then I didn't really come back. Like I popped back on once or twice to say, I don't think I can come back. Like this time away has kind of reinforced what has been growing in me for several months. And I did, I took notes during that probably six to eight month time when I could feel it, it was happening. I did write a blog post about it several months later when I was able better to articulate it. The last thing I wanted to do, you and I talked about this briefly before we started recording, but the last thing I want to do is like sound prescriptive or authoritative. It was just like, this is me. This is my journey. But as I have been sharing for over a decade, I am going to share this part too. And you know, this is what's best for me for these reasons. And it does sometimes come across as, and therefore you should all do the same thing. And that's not, that was not my intention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's so crazy because when I hear you talk about this, I have, and I don't know that I'll ever get there, but it's almost as if you can look back on the years of your social media usage and be like, like uh, all of this was for something and you just look back on it fondly. Whereas I look back at it and granted, uh, of course there are, it's so hard to articulate and I still have trouble with this. And I, I don't know if time will allow me to talk about it in a way that makes sense to other people, but, and you might feel the same way. I don't know, but there are certain aspects of it that I look back at and I'm like, like, for example, you said the friendships, like I have made a few like amazing friends. Like I'm going in a month to meet up with three of them again. And we go on trips every six months for like two or three days, like different places. So like if I didn't have them in my life, like I don't know, like it it would be so crazy to not know them. So I look back so fondly on that. I look back at just like knowing that I hopefully had made a difference in someone's world as a new mom and not feeling alone, that to me is so incredibly important. And I know that the community I had built made me feel less alone at the time that I was I was doing all of this. So that I look back on fondly. I don't look back on it and think this was helpful for my family. I I think it was helpful for my family monetarily, which was really great in the position that we were in eight to 10 years ago. But for me, it, it did take time away from my kids that I won't ever get back. And granted, of course, it was looked at as a it's a career. It is a career. You are making money doing it. And there are so many wonderful things about that that were important to me. Like, 
for example, like building the community and really trying to help people because that's really the basis of like (laughs) everything I do in my life for my kids, for my family, for the people that I see in the emergency department. Just that's like always what I've wanted to do. But it just like for me, I'm like, damn, like I feel like I really missed out on certain aspects of my, my child's just like growing up because I, I I just wasn't, I was like so busy. Like I always felt like I had like deadlines to meet and stuff like that. And I'm like, was it worth it? And so I haven't gotten to that point in my life where, where I'm like, no, Lindsay, it was worth it. Like that part of your life. And I might not get there for that like particular aspect of it, but. Yeah, I have a lot of anxiety and some clinical PTSD related to decisions that I've made as a mom. Um, ranging from, you know, injuries of my kids to uh, just decisions, you know, because you look back and you're like, dang, these kids were like given to me to take care of and I can't guarantee their safety. And we can't, we cannot. And that's actually been the most freeing thing for me in the last couple of years as I've gone through like therapy and some EMDR stuff. It's like, oh, I have zero control. I can try to influence and impact my children, but I really have zero control. And so what helps me in those moments is to say, I made the best decision in the moment with the information that I had from parenting to moving to career to what I said on the internet that cannot be unsaid to how many hours I spent on the internet that I, you know, that did not go to my children or my family or whatever. And I don't hear you like lamenting and regretting, but it is really difficult in this day and age to not look back and be like, what was the point of that? And I just think like, I mean, I I've looked at your work. I do think that it, it was worth it. And now in this moment, you reserve the right to not even course correct, but just change courses, you know? And I think that too is valuable. There's like freedom and that vulnerability of watch me kids, watch me make decisions with the information that I have. Sometimes that meant not getting my kids vaccinated. Sometimes that meant getting my kids vaccinated. Sometimes that meant virtual schooling and homeschooling. And then that meant changing schools halfway through the year or taking this career promotion when I really could be devoting more time at home, like waiting for them to get off the bus and working shorter hours. But I'm like, no, I actually think my kids need to see me do this. And just every step along the way, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge we're not always going to get it right. We're not even going to have confidence in the moment when we're making these decisions. But I think the intention is important. And if the intention is pure and it's there, then like, then yeah, it was a worthwhile decision. I think what made me most regret my time online in that way was just, I mean, the doom scrolling, you know? So I would go on there for something specific, like to post whatever it was. And then an hour has gone by and I'm like, I cannot believe that I have wasted. (laughs) And I guess when I look back on it, I'm like hundreds and hundreds, thousands, who knows how many hours I have I mean, and I can honestly say this with, (laughs) it's really with no regret, but it was wasted. I mean, it was completely wasted time. There was nothing that I gained from any of it. (laughs) I have been there too, even recently, even after breaking up with my personal brand or whatever online, it is still so much easier to numb out and scroll and not choose to like put intention into the moment of whatever it is I'm doing. So I totally feel you on that. And that is like, that is objectively true. Like we can talk about not being prescriptive and not trying to like define what is healthy for others as we walk away from the internet or whatever. But like, it is objectively true that we as a generation are addicted to the internet and that our children are growing up in an environment where they are conditioned to also be addicted to the internet. 
and that we are obligated to help them be digitally conscientious citizens, you know, and learn how to have a healthier relationship online. And it's really hard for them to learn that when we don't ourselves, myself included currently, like no active Instagram, still having issues, doom scrolling. You know what I mean? <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. But seriously, yeah. I mean, so when I decided to leave, I I actually had this conversation, like especially with my oldest, because she was, let's see, I don't know, like eight at the time or whatever. I was like, you know how mom's on her phone a lot and I tell you that it's for work and that's not always true. Like sometimes I get lost in these crazy, we call, I'm like call them, call them rabbit holes. I talked it through with her saying, I'm actually deleting all of this because I am not able to put up these boundaries for myself and they're set up so that you want to do this more. And I don't want that for myself. And I'm like talking to her and trying to explain it to her in a way that maybe one day when she picks up her phone years to come, she might say, oh, you know what? I remember when my mom told me about this and she deleted hers because of... I think it's really important. And I think stories like that will really resonate with our children because... It's just, it's so truthful and it's, it's just a way that they'll be able to connect because like you said, I'm human. (laughs) Yeah. It's so wild to me. I mean, for the first couple of months after I deleted everything from my phone, I was like, my husband called me like a meteorologist because I knew what was happening with the weather every second of the day because I would open that app every five seconds because it was oh, like the only true. app I had on my phone, basically. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, I know you that know, feeling. You'd be like, meteorologist Lindsay, what's it going to be like tomorrow? Yes. Uh, and I also cleaned up all of my photos. I just kept upgrading. Like I would upgrade my phone every, what, two to three years and then get a larger storage space instead of like offloading things. And so for a couple of years, I was carrying around, you know, five or six years worth of random photos or videos. And suddenly I became like a librarian as far as like, I was organizing my photos on my phone and like deleting the duplicates and downloading these apps that would help like identify photos you didn't need anymore. And all of this, yeah, it's it's the exact same thing because our thumbs like want to do the thing. We want to pick up the phone. We want to tap it. We want to unlock it. We want to open it. So I feel you. I feel you there. Yeah. The only thing that helped me, I swear, the only thing that helped me get away from it completely was getting, and this was so counterintuitive. I absolutely despised the Apple watch. So my husband had gotten me an Apple watch. Like, I don't know, like that first year or two where like everyone was kind of getting an Apple watch and he's like, this is going to be really good for you because then you can like leave your phone. And I was like, what? I don't want to do that. So I never used it. He returned it. And then he made fun of me so much. I think it was like right as I was planning to leave, I like got an Apple watch because I was like, I think what I want. So my fear leaving my phone is that like school is going to call or somebody it's going to be about my kids. Like I can't leave my phone somewhere. Like that's not an option as a mom. So I wanted to be able to be connected, but I don't want my phone. And so I got this Apple watch and I can leave my phone at home. Like I don't, I don't ever need it. And it's so great because I could reach for it. Oh, it's not there. But I can receive phone calls and all those things. So, and I don't have anything on my Apple Watch. It's just, it's just text messages, phone calls, and like work. I use it for workouts. That's it. And so, my version of that, because I 
were probably just a little bit different. I do tend to like tap and look. I also returned my Apple Watch. I was like tapping at, on it all the time, looking at it in the middle of a conversation, feeling myself getting like distracted and not making eye contact. So I have given my work phone. We have like an administrative assistant team at work. I have an emergency contact who's one of my nurses, like one of my coworkers and my friends. I've given all of those numbers to the school. And so it's like, you can call me, but if my phone isn't available, here are like six backup numbers where I know someone in this town is going to find me. <laughs> and so I've never, I've never had an issue with people tracking me down. Like, I mean, they could overhead page me in the hospital and they're going to find me, you know? Um, also the safest place to be, I think, if your kid has an emergency is at work when you work at the hospital. <laughs> So yeah, we find our way, you know, my, my son is 13 and a half and we got him a phone for his birthday because there were so many times I waited, I waited until there were actual like documented times when he was stuck at school or plans had changed and he had to borrow a phone or use the secretary's phone or whatever. And we got him a flip phone. So we told him like, you're not going to love having this. This is a gift. We can take it away. You can break our trust with it. You can earn more trust with it. But here's a way for you to contact us. And I had a suspicion that in middle school, him, ha- and he's a drummer, and he likes to ski, and he has long curly hair. So just a lot of things that are like non-traditional and kind of cool about my son. And he also happens to be shorter than most of the boys in his grade. And so just like interesting little quirks where I'm like, I wonder if he's going to get bullied for having this flip phone. No, no, no. They all think it's cool. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. And so I'm like, maybe we could start a trend when we are uncomfortable with our children having devices, but we know at some point they need some kind of contact, you know? I'm going to go here after school instead of here. I'll meet you at this place at five, that kind of thing. They are going to dial us on their flip phones and we are just going to keep trucking along until we have to upgrade. I love that. That was going to be my next question for you is like, what's your take on introducing phones and introducing social media with your kids? So I love that you brought that up because I I wonder if it will be the same. I'm sure the, cult, the culture in Alaska and especially where you are in like a smaller community is much different than a lot of the US in general. Where we are, it's very rural, but I worry the same only because my daughter who's not even 10 I mean her some of her friends have phones like iPhones and I'm like what on I, I what on earth um, I feel like being in our town we're so uniquely positioned to actually make a difference like when parents start to get frustrated and and overwhelmed with like the mental health issues that our teens are seeing I mean in January in one week in January, we had five teenagers admitted to the hospital for mental health emergencies. So we are isolated and a little bit different than probably the rest of the country, but we are also having the same kinds of issues that most communities see. And I feel grateful because when that happened, by the first week of February, our police department had partnered with another community resource and held like three social media and youth workshops. And he was like, this is what I like our lieutenant. This is what I'm seeing. When I get called out to a, a suicidal ideation type situation with a teenager, or when a parent calls me and says they found a picture that their kids should not have on their phone, or we find, you know, teenagers communicating with adults in inappropriate ways because they're being tricked or whatever. He was sharing everything. And so we were able to like kind of come together as this small community and say, like, oh, we can make a difference here. It's not the the city of, you know, almost 2 million that I came from. It's a town with only a few schools. And I can actually call this kid's parents and say, 
my son wants to go to your kid's house after school tomorrow. And here are our expectations or rules or whatever. I was shocked though, because when I left that workshop in February, I came home and I sat my kids down like the pious, you know, sophisticated, totally aware mom that I thought that I was because we have raised two boys before our bottom four. We've got uh, two stepsons that I've been involved with since they were two and four years old. And they are now 23 and almost 21. And so I feel like I've been around the block. But like you said, culture just changes so fast that the teenagers that I raised a few years ago are not the teenagers that I'm about to raise now. And so I, I started talking to them about everything I had learned. And they have a few iPads in our home that are designated for school. And they have their 30 minutes per day. And they're supposed to sit at the table. Like We had all these rules in place. Every single one of my kids had already downloaded Snapchat. My kids are 9, 11, 11, and 13. All of them had figured out a way to communicate with their school friends through their Google school account. And I was horrified. Like nothing bad had happened yet. But I thought like, oh, I've been doing all the right things. It just does not matter. It just doesn't. It's like I said at the beginning, like we just don't have total control and a guarantee over our kids' safety, whether it be digital or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, I just feel like there's so many ways around things. I I don't want to be, I feel like there's such a, almost like a very thin line we have to balance. It's almost significantly harder now because you don't want to be naive to kids being introduced to technology. Like they're going to see porn at a young age because of technology. They're going to they're just going to know about things much sooner than we did as kids because of the internet and because of kids significantly close access to technology compared to us. And so it's like, for me, it's hard because I was the person that was like, well, my phone, my, my kid's not getting a phone until they're 16. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's a little bit unreasonable. Like you want to be able to get a hold of your child or for them to get a hold of you if they're in a place that they're uncomfortable. Like if I drop her off at a friend's house and she's uncomfortable, I want her to be able to call me or one of my kids to be able to call me. I do feel like there's this this very thin balance of this is technology, this is how to use it and not giving them too much at the same time. But for example, like it's so hard because you introduce that to your to your children and they like find all these loopholes and it's like ah it's just so incredibly difficult to navigate. And I'm not even there yet. I just have been anticipating this for so many years because I'm like, what is the right thing to do? I know. Well, no, let's backtrack. I know what the right thing to do is because of the research that's already been published about this and the research that continues to be, there's just so many different things that people are looking at right now that hasn't been published. But there is indefinitely some sort of a link between social media use, especially with, I think, with female teenagers and just how they look, how they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to act. I I mean, high school for me was very difficult. I cannot even imagine having that amplified times a million on the internet, you know? So I just, and I know that it's going to be very difficult for a child to not have those social media apps to go to because their friends are going to maybe think they're not cool or what have you. But I, I, I mean, this is how I think now. I just think that 
the positive effects of that will outweigh any negative. Like if if the cool girl or the cool guy thinks that you are not popular because you don't have social media, then then that's okay with me. If that means that you're going to grow up healthy and having a great relationship with your body and yourself and all of those things, like that's okay with me. But it's hard because you don't want to purposely put your child into a position where people are going to make fun of them or think differently of them just because they're choosing to have a, a different social choice than you. But I don't know. I don't know. Those are just my feelings now, but I don't know what's going to change as they get older. I know that I want to hold out on social media specifically. The phone thing, I don't really care about. Like a flip phone, I think is a great idea. They can flip yeah. it open and they can call somebody. That's great. <laughs> exactly. And he, he uses the hilarious T9 texting, you know, like mm-hmm. because you have to like wrap it. You, you remember when you had your yes. phones like in, in the best kinds of shape and you couldn't argue with anyone, right? You couldn't have a text message fight because it took too long to hammer out a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so he's definitely, I mean, it's working for us and who knows, like, like we've talked about, like no one has gone before us and what got us to 2020, at least me personally, what got me to 2020 will not get me to 2030. What got my mom to the stage of parenthood where she launched me is not the same as me launching my kids. And I won't be able to really help much except offer my own personal experience Mm -hmm. when my kids start having kids because it's just, it's, it's all changing so fast. And that has to be okay. Like you said, like we have to be okay with that. And, and just the digital literacy matters to me, learning how to sort through a story and identifying who's winning and, and who it's costing, whether it be like a news headline or someone talking smack about something at school. You know, I'm trying to teach my kids those critical thinking skills. Um, I think that will help them sort out the, the yucky like internet stuff as they get older and get mm-hmm. more access. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. One last question on social media specifically. Do you feel that your emotional self, like your emotional being is healthier having been off? Like if you compared yourself five years ago to yourself now? Oof. I think my emotional health took a beating because of the pandemic regardless. I think aging also has something to do with it. I've I didn't know what being 35 or 37 or whatever would feel like at age 30. So, I mean, I think there's definitely some nuance to that question, but I am, I am better able to identify my anxiety or my reaction to something and then do something about it now because the anxiety or my emotional response is usually about an in-person situation. And the internet is real life. So I never want to be like real life versus online life because those are real people too that I was interacting with and real things that I was talking about and real time that was spent online. But if I am anxious about what someone thinks about me right now after a meeting, I can come to my office. I can kind of practice some mindfulness, ground myself, speak truth to myself, whatever. And then I can prepare to have a a conversation with that person. And then I can address it or dismiss it and let it go because I know the person in real life. And I know that they didn't mean whatever, where I found myself at the end of my relationship with Instagram. I remember specifically one day posting from the floor, lying on my belly. And I would like try to get up after I'd interacted with some things on stories and people and comments and then have to get back down on the floor because I was just so crippled by the weight of the topic, 
the invisible audience that was actually real because they were interacting with it, you know, just the, the complication of, of all of that, that world. So emotionally, I do feel healthier because I'm learning skills that can be put into practice regularly and just learning how to erect some of those boundaries to like the earthquake that happened, like Turkey and Syria have been on my mind, but imagine what it would have been like if I was a content creator and I had to adjust my schedule of what I was already going to post. Then I have to post some fundraisers and then I have to reach out to some people and find out who knows people in Turkey. And like, it was just kind of, and all of that was real. It was genuine. Like I really do feel grieved for people that are experiencing hardship all over the world, but being able to, I don't know, kind of like regulate that and stay in my body and in my mind and in my spirit and my heart, like in a healthier way does feel better offline. Mm -hmm. I, so as I was listening to you, it's so crazy because that connection. So what you said specifically about in this real world example of talking with somebody at work and having to work through it and like using all these tools from your toolbox, right? For this in-person connection and how it's so different online and navigating that. And then think to yourself, this is how children are learning to connect with people is through a screen in a way that is just not, it's just not real life. And I, they, they aren't obtaining the tools that they need to be able to talk through conflict and debate with others that might disagree with them in a way that's healthy, that both people can grow. Just all of the things that are so important for adulthood is not being established during childhood and teenage years because it's being replaced with being able to say whatever you want behind a screen because there are no consequences for such things. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, I think that that's so interesting and like so spot on. Yeah. yeah. After the virtual schooling phase up here, all the schools were allowed to create their own COVID mitigation protocols, which was helpful rather than like a school district or a county or whatever policy. And so we found a school that kept the children in class all day, every day, no matter the exposure, no matter the outbreak. They just enacted some kind of masking and contact tracing protocol in order to keep kids from bouncing. So before that, it was, they're out for 10 days. Now they're back. Now they're virtual schooling for 14. Now they're back. And it was just wreaking havoc on my kids' nervous system, essentially. But the school that we found, we selected because of that. We're like, well, we got to get them in in here somewhere. I did not know much about the charter school system. I did not know much about its its background or its policies. And it is mostly like Socratic method and student-led. So their parent-teacher conferences are actually student-led conferences. They have these community council meetings once a week where they have to debate a topic. What if tomorrow we told you that you had to wear uniforms? How would you feel? And they have to like create a debate, a formal like exchange of ideas. And yeah, so I've actually been like, when I hear you say that, I'm like, I've actually been learning from my kids and so grateful that in all of its twisted ways, the pandemic landed my kids in an environment where they might be getting those tools and able to teach them to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. I love that. Okay, 
Let's end with two questions I ask everybody I have on. So they're completely unrelated to the topic. The first question is, if you had one piece of advice for moms, what would it be? If I had to give moms one piece of advice, I love that question. It's it's the, you reserve the right to change your mind if needed. Like making decisions in the moment based on the information that you have and then just going forth in freedom. Like your kids are your kids. We all know you're doing the best you can. We all know that you love your kids. Most of us are not sociopaths or psychopaths, you know? And so in that moment, you have to be able to say, this is the best decision that we could make for our family. And if we change our mind, we change our mind. And that could be boundaries with in-laws or medication things or schooling things or the way you make them clean their room. I don't, it could be anything, but that has really been freeing to me yeah. throughout the years for sure. Oh, I absolutely, yeah, I, I really, really like that one. And I don't think that's one that has been said quite like that yet. And I think it really applies too. I feel like I really needed that like two years ago when I was explaining why I was leaving social media and it was like, well, you're such a hypocrite because you've been on here for so long. And I'm like, no, but you're allowed to just change your mind about things. Nothing is set in stone. Life is not set in stone. If I like roses tomorrow, I can not like them the next day. I mean, it's if I've always liked chicken pot pie, it doesn't mean I'm going to like it for my whole life. I don't know. It's just, it's so crazy because I do feel like, I do feel like we're in this era where like, if you are so set on something, you're not allowed to change your mind. Like you've always been this way. That's the way you always have to be. And I think that that's so important to remember is that you can, you can change your mind anytime. I, I love that. It's so true. Okay. Second question is, if you could make one meal for your family that's relatively quick and easy and that everybody will eat, what would it be? If I could make one quick, easy meal. Okay. Tofu bowls. I know it sounds crazy for people who might not like tofu. You could you could replace it with chicken, but quick bowl of rice, roast some veggies or throw them in the skillet for like five minutes with lots of spices and then let the kids pick their own sauces. So it could go Asian. It could go, I mean, it could go any direction that you want it to. But we like any kind of bowl meal where the kids get to pick. We've done acai, like smoothie bowls. We've done roasted veggie bowls. We've done beans and rice bowls. And all of these are pretty cheap too, which is Mm -hmm. great when you're pinching your pennies. Yes. (laughs) Yes. What's your favorite brand of, so my, a, a couple of our kids like love tofu. But I've just never tried a brand that I've like really been like, oh, this is delicious. Like I can't get over that hump. <laughs> yeah, for us, it's not really about the brand. It's about the way we prepare it. So we get the extra okay. firm and then we will drain it and then press it between two cutting boards and put like a bunch of books on top or a skillet oh, on top okay. and try to get it as dry as we can before we cook it. And then we cook it in the oven. So it takes on more of a crispy, firm flavor and taste or at okay. least texture. And then it does take on the flavor of what you cook it with. So Okay. And do you, do you use any like specific spices with it or anything or no? Yeah. I love Trader Joe's spices. I even get them shipped up here from the lower 48. Um, but lower I love that every... That's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> down, in, down in America, you know, because I live in Alaska. Like the 21 Seasoning Salute, I think is what it's called. Yeah. My Trader Joe's and then everything but the bagel. Yep. And so I'll do that and some like olive oil or peanut oil. And then, like I said, they get to pick the sauce. And so they, they have that control. Yeah. Yeah. The, the control is, is key, I feel like. with kids. Very much so. They can even pick which color veggies they want to put in their bowl. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, absolutely. All right, Rachel, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this with me. I think that this was 
this was just so great to connect. And I feel like I even learned a little bit from you and just what you've taken out of it. And it was really, really great. So thank you. Well, I feel the same way. I feel like for two people that sort of walked away from the internet, we've actually made an internet friendship here. And I'm really grateful that you had me on. (laughs) I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.